Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 8th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The government is meeting to finalise next year's budget. Pascal Donoghue will this afternoon outline the government's plans for raising revenue and spending over 2020. The minister says his plans will be based on the UK leaving the EU without a deal. Many question if this will require a supplementary budget early next year. The Taoiseach expects a general election here next year and has said it could be held in May. That means this could be the last budget announced through the current Doyle. The budget must be signed off on by Fianna Fáil if it is to be passed, but negotiations concluded late last night with the main opposition party and it's now a case of dotting the I's and crossing the T's, it seems, for Minister Dunhu. Let's uh, see what Fianna Fáil has done in terms of putting its stamp on next year's budget. Timmy Dooley is his party's spokesperson on communications, the environment and natural resources. A very good morning to you and thanks for joining morning, us. Uh, what has Fianna Fáil insisted on in next year's budget? Well, I think, I mean, from a Fianna Fáil perspective, uh, we were very concerned about some of the really serious issues uh, that, that are bedeviling our economy. Uh, housing, uh, health, uh, climate change issues are, are, are of great importance to us and obviously uh, the detail of that will be laid out today and uh, we'll obviously leave it for the Minister for uh, Finance to, to, to go through that in detail. But, you know, that has been our approach for the past three budgets. Um, we've looked at service delivery. We've looked at the people who are worst off in society, the people who are struggling most. Um, and we've tried to ensure that the budget, insofar as it can, uh, assist them in getting on with their daily lives. Mm. Um, you know, everybody knows the situation in relation to housing and the crisis that we've had there. Did you not solve uh, we, the housing crisis last year? We, we, we regularly talk. Well, it's not something that gets solved in a year, Michael. Did, didn't Fianna Fáil uh, uh, hail last year's budget as the housing budget? We did, uh, and we sought additional funding to assist people uh, who were buying their first home. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to maintain that same level of support uh, into this year uh, and through this year. So, so you stand over uh, the support uh, you gave or uh, the lack of opposition you gave uh, to we, last year's budget in terms of we, housing. We, so you take responsibility for we, the housing we, crisis. We, we stand over the measures that we are able to negotiate recognising that we're not in government where we try to ensure 
that people who are worst off uh, get assistance. Uh, we don't have a monopoly on, on the budget or we don't get to control mm. it. We get to have an input into it. Well, um, no. And we, no. Don't get, we, don't, we don't get everything we no, want. No, no, no. Um, but but, but you works. did say that you wouldn't force an election. You wouldn't vote uh, 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 in support of a, a no-confidence motion in the housing minister last year because you would change the lives of people uh, uh, that people have I- I- in this country no, through I, last year's budget and that you would solve the housing crisis. It's I worse what, now. I think what we made very clear was that we weren't going to get involved in some kind of a mock debate uh, around the Minister for Housing. Whilst we certainly don't believe that he has performed to the extent that he might, we certainly didn't think that just getting rid of him would solve the problem overnight. It takes ongoing efforts and measures to ensure that we try to reach a situation where more homes are built. That's happening. There has been an increase in mm. the housing stock this year. The, 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 the real big issue that's bedeviling uh, this society is the number of people who find themselves homeless, and in but, particular but, but, children. But that's exactly the point. Uh, put it a different way, perhaps. Uh, but what Fianna Fáil said last year was that you'd work with the government to solve the housing crisis, and it is your belief, 12 months on, that no more could have been done than it has been done. Well, I think when you have to, you have to look at the, the, the resources that are available, Michael. You have to look at the money that you have available to you and try to, 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 to apportion that in a manner that meets all the needs of society. We cannot borrow to the extent that we did in the past because we don't have that capacity. But yes, I do believe that the Minister could have done a hell of a lot more over the course of the year that would have seen a greater supply of housing coming onto the market. Uh, that hasn't happened and it's, it's, it's work that we will have to continue to do recognising that we're not in government but we'll because, be facing the electorate mm, in the next number of months we expect mm, and we'll set out a very clear strategy uh, as to how we might be able to improve uh, the number of houses built uh, and that, that we can have homes for more people so that we can move away from this situation where uh, over 10,000 people find themselves in emergency accommodation uh, on a daily basis that's not good enough uh, and we believe that from, from our own perspective, if we were in government, we would handle that differently. And that will be our offering to the Irish people when the next election is called. OK, so you're happy to stand over the support that you gave uh, to the government uh, and the confidence uh, that you expressed in them. Uh, well, in terms on the basis, of Michael, that we made it clear at the time that if we were in government, we'd do things significantly differently. And we've set out that on numerous occasions. The point in relation to the support for the government or the continued facilitation of the existence of this government has been clearly set out by the party leader on, on numerous occasions and it relates to the fact that we have been facing this Brexit crisis now for a considerable period of time. We didn't believe uh, that going to the country and bringing down the government was the best you know, approach to take at such a serious uh, at, at such a critical time in those discussions and that remains and we're now working towards uh, an election early next year or mid next year or whenever that might be where, where everybody will get an opportunity to put to the Irish people their ideas based on the experience they've had over the last number of years and, and seek their support on that basis and that's when the Irish people will get to make a decision and decide whether they want to continue with the Fine Gael government or they want to change it. Okay, there's uh, to be an additional 700 Gardaí uh, announced, uh, we see from the leaks today, 1,400 special needs uh, teachers and funding for uh, a million home care help hours. Are they the issues that Fianna Fáil insisted on? Yeah, well, those are all issues that we have raised on an ongoing basis. Um, and they're, they're, they're issues that are, are critically important. I mean, if you look at the backlog uh, of, of uh, the situation in so many of our A&E uh, accident and emergencies in our hospitals around the country, it really is 
um, in a crisis situation. And a lot of it is because there isn't bed capacity in the hospitals or there isn't enough throughput. Uh, and we have rightly, uh, last year, reintroduced the Treatment Purchase Fund, which has the capacity to get people who are on waiting lists dealt with more quickly in the private hospitals, get their surgeries, get their treatment, uh, and, 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 and get back into recuperation and out of the hospitals. And, and that's a good use of money. There was something that was introduced by Fianna Fáil way back, um, uh, eliminated by this Fine Gael government over time, and now it's being, it's being restructured. And I think it, it has the capacity to relieve some of the, the pressure in our hospitals. Of itself, it's not going to eliminate all of the waiting lists immediately. But over time, if year on year, we can build on that. We mm. can get more people treated. Um, and get them out of hospital. Uh, and an additional £25 million is to be given to this? Well, I, I can't confirm any of those numbers. Mm. That could be for the Minister for, for uh, Finance to do today when he, when he gets on his feet. But it's that type of approach that we have taken to look at measures that will alleviate some of the biggest problems that we face uh, in our society, both in terms of law enforcement, uh, in terms of health, mm. in terms of housing. Uh, why, 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 why does Fianna Fáil not believe in a, a public health service? Well, we do believe in a public health service. But, but why do you want you to know, give it to, to private operators? Well, it, it, it's quite simple, Michael. Uh, you're not, we're not starting with a green field. There are private hospitals with capacity who can get patients treated as quickly as possible. Um, we're seeing a situation at the minute, which, which I find particularly difficult, the idea of transporting patients out of the 26 counties into the six counties and further afield to get treatment that should be available here, treatment that can be provided in Irish uh, private hospitals. We're, we're sending people to the north of Ireland to have cataracts done, to have them done in private hospitals, and then, you know, they pay there, mm. uh, and then they get, they, get, they get their money recouped from the state after a protracted period of time, when there's private hospitals much closer to them, well capable of doing the work. And through the Treatment Purchase Fund, that's a way to do it. And I think it's a good use of public mm. and private working together. But, and it can work together. But if we were to focus on doing it through the public system, would it be possible? I think it would, but it, it, in, in the public service, it takes a long time to recruit. How, how long? It, it, how, how long would it? Could, could it be? Do- I, I, I can't tell you how long. Could, it could we do it in fifteen? Could we do it in fifteen years, for example? Well, as you as you know, uh, there is a plan now uh, to to do that. It requires significant investment. It's the whole Schlanter care yeah. model. Um, and, and that's there. And there's money being set aside for that. So but over but, time, but as you know, we Fianna Fáil came up with this brainwave 15 years ago when it, it, it wedded with the Progressive Democrats. And it, it was Mary Harney who introduced the National, yeah, national Purchase uh, Scheme, wasn't it? Treatment Scheme? It, 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 it was at the time when yeah. Fianna Fáil were in government. 15 years ago, and we still can't provide services through the public system. But we are providing a lot of service through the public. I know, service. but we're now going to give €25 million euro extra to providers of health care for profit. Well, they're providing a service, and that's the important thing. If we have patients who are languishing uh, on waiting lists and not being treated within the public uh, health care system, and there's an urgency of need and the, and the queues are getting longer, in my view, the best way to do that is not to get hung up on the ideologies of private versus public. It's about assisting and treating patients. And that, for me, is the most important thing. And, of course, I believe in the Schlanter Care model. Uh, and I believe in a model that the people who are, who are ill should be treated regardless of whether they have private health insurance or not. And that's where we need to go. And there's a plan in place now with all, pretty much all party agreement to get there. But if you've got a crisis now, there's no point saying to somebody who's on a waiting list for cataract treatment mm. or for hip replacement no. 
or for heart surgery, uh, you know, we're going to change the system yet again, um, but you have to wait. Where there's, if there's capacity in a private hospital, mm-hmm. I don't have a, an ideological hang-up about paying for that. Well, obviously And not. I think we should. No, obviously no. not. And that's the point. And 15 years ago, you didn't have a, a, an ideological hang-up. And well, 15 years was, uh, ago, you introduced was, a system of paying people to care for other people on a profit basis. And now you're suggesting that they should continue to be profitable. But, but with respect, I mean, it, it, when the value for money audits are done, I don't think that you will find a major difference between the two. I think it, there's a good, efficient uh, private system there that can provide uh, specific healthcare models, specific treatments, specific care plans for certain conditions, not right across, but in certain cases where there's a surgery needed for a hip uh, or knee replacement or orthopedic surgery. That can be provided from the, 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 the private system. Uh, cost effectively and I think it has it has a place in working well with the overall uh, delivery of health service and mm. it, it, it has been working and we shouldn't be hung up ideologically on it just because the companies run the companies that run these facilities run them efficiently uh, provide a good service and provide a good outcome for the people who need it Okay, the increase in uh, the carbon tax uh, could be the most controversial announcement today I take it it has uh, the support of Fianna Fáil? Well, we made it very clear on the Joint Oireachtas Committee uh, on Climate Change uh, that we saw the continued rising of the carbon tax as one of many aspects of assisting in behavioural change towards reducing the amount of carbon emitted into uh, our, our atmosphere. And it, it, it had a role to play, not at all being the most important, but one of many. And to that extent, it's clear from all the uh, advisories that have you know, provided government with, with, with advice, uh, that the carbon tax should, over a period of time, increase gradually towards €80 Euros a tonne by 2030. It's at mm. €20 Euros a tonne, which was introduced by uh, Fianna Fáil and the Greens when last in government. Um, and this government has done nothing over the last eight or nine years to increase it gradually to assist in that behavioural change. Mm. Uh, and, 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 you know, at, 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 at the Joint Directors Committee, we recognise that it has a role to play, but, but, but it's, it's a relatively small role and it's got to be done. But we were very clear that in, in, in any support for such uh, an increase in the carbon tax, <coughs> that those subject to fuel poverty uh, would receive support from the state through um, various different social welfare programmes, uh, in the home heating allowance, etc., uh, to, to assist people who just wouldn't be able to maybe insulate their homes or reduce their dependence uh, on fossil fuels, be it coal or briquettes uh, or gas or oil. Mm. So how will that happen? Well, there's a fuel allowance that gets provided to Mm. certain social welfare income households, and I think that would be an appropriate vehicle to provide additional support to people who will see an increase in the cost of their fuel okay. as a result of any... Uh, and for people who don't receive the fuel allowance, if they fill up their car tomorrow and they pay one or two euro extra to fill it up, uh, what will they do? Uh, decide uh, to get uh, an electric car? Or for well, no, uh, people I mean, next year who uh, order home heating oil uh, and pay, what, about 16 euro extra for the fill, uh, what will they do? Uh, will they well, decide to spend 50 or 60,000 uh, retrofitting their homes? Well, it's... It, it, on an annual basis, my belief is that it will be a, rel- a relatively modest increase. So if you take, for example, mm. six euros per tonne, if that's what it, it comes mm. out to be, or somewhere in that neighbourhood, that's about two cents on a litre of fuel. Now, uh, on, on the fill-up of a car, general 80 litres, that's about 160. So if mm. you're paying 
to fill your car with diesel if you're paying 85 euros uh, at the moment. It's yeah. an additional 1 euro 60 on that. But what's the point so of it? Not, well, I'll tell you what the point of it is. First of all, it's about taking that money, uh, ring-fencing it, and using it to assist people uh, in moving away from their dependence on fossil fuels. So it's, it's, it's a levy that can be used in that way. But it's also about sending a signal to people who um, could drive an electric car over time that, that petrol and diesel is going to increase. And whilst 160 on a fill uh, in percentage terms is relatively small and is manageable for lots of people, uh, it's a signal to indicate to them that over time this is going to increase more over the next 10 years. So a, a, a planned purchase of an electric vehicle, which for some is appropriate, for some it's not. Mm. But for those that, that can make that change, it's, it's assisting them in making that decision and planning for the future. It's also then... To buy a 2020 reg. Well, it may not be buying a 2020 reg. It may be somebody buying a 2018 reg. It may be somebody looking to the second-hand car market for their second car. There are mm. many homes where there's a main car, there's a second car for maybe used for taking children to school, uh, not doing major runs, mm. but, but, but relatively small amount of, of activity, somewhere in the ten to 15,000 miles per year. Uh, it's well recognised that an electric vehicle is, is more than appropriate for that kind of mileage and for the shorter runs. And as technology develops, it, the technology will be there for cars that, that, that need to do much longer runs. On but, the home heating side, mm, but it's but, also signalling... But, but just, just before the home heating side, okay. if somebody uh, says they won't be able to afford a 2018 reg for five years, let's say, uh, what's their extra 160 a, 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 a fill going to? Okay, so it's going into a ring-fenced fund. But they're being penalised because they can't afford the electric car. Well, they're not being penalised for not being able to afford an electric car. It's a recognition that the pollutants coming from their, their car or the use of their car has a very significant impact. But they don't have any option. They but don't have, have any a, alternative. But, but there's a polluter pays principle in society already so that the more of a particular fuel that you use, and it's also aiming towards people to look to see whether or not every journey that they take is essential. Um, and that happens in, in other countries. So people, poor, as, poor, as people should drive less? No, everybody should ultimately drive a little bit less if they can avoid it. Mm. Um, people should reduce the amount of carbon that they're emitting into the atmosphere. The whole purpose here, Michael, quite frankly, is to address this massive climate change crisis that we're facing. Now, you, you must begin by indicating to people how they can do that and try to get some behavioural change. And this is just a small part of it. And I would argue that it's sending a signal rather than using the, 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 the carrot and stick approach. It's, it's very much the carrot at this stage. It's indicating that prices are going to increase over time. So try to change your behaviour. That may be assisting people moving towards public transport or people reducing and, and their, their, their mm. uh, journeys. There are some unnecessary journeys and people can make savings there. So it's only as things increase in price that people start to look a little bit you know, more critically, okay. uh, as to how they use what is a, a, a scarce resource. Okay. Um, on the home heating side, what, what, what it's signalling over time again that the cost of home heating is going up if it's coal uh, or briquettes or oil or gas. And that's saying to people, again, over a very considerable period of time, that you look to uh, better management of your heat in homes. People often uh, overheat their homes. Uh, some obviously don't, and I accept that there are people who are on and in a fuel poverty situation and they have to be supported and Fianna Fáil were absolutely adamant uh, that, that, that people in that space um, were, were, were supported and will be supported. But there are others who, you know, maybe don't turn off radiators in rooms that aren't being used 
um, leave the heat on too long, don't manage it better, put in, you know, there's, there's methods mm. of, of, of putting in heat controls in rooms. So there's, there's an awful lot of, of, of work that people can do in the first instance to reduce uh, the amount of fuel they're consuming. Okay. And then there's insula- better insulation that can be put in place. Uh, and as people have their homes, there are, there are plenty of people who uh, upgrade their homes from, from an aesthetics point of view, and that's good when, when they can afford to do it. But we're kind of suggesting to people that you've got to look, or you should look, towards insulation as the first upgrade in a home before you look at anything else in okay. an effort to reduce the, the, the cost to you. Okay, well, we'll have uh, much more on next year's budget throughout the day, uh, but uh, thank you for starting the day with us uh, and for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. That's uh, Fianna Fáil TD, Timmy Dooley, who's his party's spokesperson on communications, the environment and natural resources. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. It's been a, a dramatic uh, morning at Our Lady's Hospital in Navin. Uh, a fire broke out at six o'clock this morning on a chart or in a chart room. Uh, three wards were evacuated. Patients and staff had to be evacuated from uh, the three wards. Uh, it seems to be getting back to normal now because uh, the fire has been extinguished. The fire brigade uh, has been looking after the incident uh, there, but as a, a result, general surgery and endoscopy procedures have been deferred. Uh, so if you are due a procedure today, maybe worthwhile checking with the hospital if it is due to go ahead. Uh, but some procedures have been cancelled as a result of smoke damage. Now, let's uh, talk about what is a concept surrounded by myths. Whiplash is a culturally dependent syndrome directly related to the availability of court compensation. This is according to two neurosurgeons based at Beaumont Hospital. And indeed, as you know, uh, it is uh, something that has resulted in huge personal payouts, personal injury payouts uh, to people who have been seeking compensation. Neil MacDonald, Chief Executive of ISME, is on the line. And a very good morning to you, uh, Neil, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Jack Phillips and Kieran Bulger, the neurosurgeons in Beaumont, have uh, based their findings on a survey from the Matter Hospital, which has found that 90% of uh, patients who have been attending a pain management clinic failed to return once their legal action had ended. Uh, Has that come as a surprise to you at all? Uh, Absolutely none, Michael. Unfortunately, this is this is par for the course. We've we've known this to be the case for a long time. We've uh, we've tic tacked indeed with surgeons and GPs ourselves. This is quite consistent with the message that uh, people cease to be symptomatic very soon after the conclusion of a case. And indeed, uh, I've spoken to a GP who told me that symptoms disappeared from patients as soon as she handed over a report. I mean, at the at the same consultation. Um, on, Unfortunately, there is a a significant element within all this of people who are are feigning or prolonging uh, symptoms in order to justify compensation. And, you know, the comparisons, for instance, in that made in that Irish Times article yesterday Mm. about sports people who recover almost immediately. Um, or, or very shortly after. In, in, in six to 12 weeks, in comparison to people who take years to recover because they're waiting on legal action to complete. Yes. 
and and this, this is a form of legally endorsed malingering and not not alone that and that's bad enough mm. obviously for employment and some of these people unfortunately will never actually return to work because the statistics for people who stay out of work for more than six months are, are grim when it, when when it uh, comes comes around to returning to work um, but it's also apparently which we weren't aware of there was a lot of new stuff in this article mm. it, it's leading to o- opiate dependence in the case of some people who are uh, uh, um, you know, sticking to prescriptions in order to to maintain the story that they're in severe pain for a long time, and then become addicted to the opiates. Indeed, uh, and I, I suppose we're all familiar now with you know going into a pharmacy lately asking for certain types of of, of painkillers that 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 have opiates in them, and you're you, you know you're you're given the script by the pharmacist. A lot of these things are only dispensed now in prescription. But unfortunately, in uh, in the case of of uh, whiplash injuries, mm. these things are followed up with medical prescriptions, which can go on for a long time purely to substantiate a claim. And w- what's really sad is that uh, on another uh, station yesterday, I heard a surgeon um, uh, telling a presenter that y- you know the. the it, compensation is almost causal in these things in countries, mm. for instance, in the Irish. Times mentioned yesterday where compensation does not follow these sort of incidents. They effectively don't exist. We had uh, medical professionals last year saying that soft tissue or whiplash injuries effectively do not exist as a as a medical diagnosis. Mm. Um, yet they make up seventy to eighty percent of of claims that are going through our personal injury system. It, it really is. It's a very very serious and unfortunate situation. Yeah, the Irish Times reported yesterday on. A- study in Lithuania of 202 people who were involved in rear-end collisions, but none of them had what you would call uh, whiplash, which would result in a claim of €15,000, I think, on average here. It seems as though you might get €15,000, you may end up uh, addicted to opiates, uh, you may end up uh, with uh, family distress, and it seems uh, that some people are losing their jobs while they go through all of this. Uh, absolutely, and it's important to say because we're, you know, we're constantly assailed with the, the legal system propaganda that the only the game in town is profiteering by insurance companies. We don't doubt that there's an element of that. We don't doubt that there's an element of malpractice by insurance companies. We have reported them to the CCPC and to the European Commission. But that's not to say that we don't have very significant problems elsewhere. This isn't an either-or situation. This is a both situation. I'd also like to say, Michael, that we're again, we're not saying that some people don't come out of car crashes with mm. very significant injuries, but but those injuries are in the eighty thousand euro plus category. Um, the the issue here for us is that you know the damage is being done not merely to in, the cost of insurance, but also now apparently to people's health, which was something we weren't aware of before, and it's been done at 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 those uh, injuries that are very much at the bottom or, or bottom level of the spectrum, they make up seventy to eighty percent of the claims that go through the courts. And effectively, what these neurosurgeons are saying is these people don't have a, 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 a long-term disability or disease. Mm. They have something that's curable with a very short cor- course of painkillers and, most importantly, activity. Uh, 
you know, inactivity, neck braces and things like that are not prescribed for people who have these minor injuries. Mm. Yet people are doing this sort of thing and going around on crutches for years mm. purely to, to substantiate uh, a claim in respect of an illness that in Lithuania or France or Germany you'd be given some paracetamol and t- told to go out and uh, 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 and be active. And there is a perception that you might go to and see your doctor and be given some paracetamol but if you see a solicitor you somehow end up with a, a neck brace or a whiplash collar. Yes, that is. The, 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 we we did some uh, um, press on that a couple of weeks ago. There was a very good exposition of that in a judgment given in Limerick in May by uh, Mr. Justice Toomey, where uh, patients were being referred or claimants were being referred directly by a solicitor to to consultants, and and the judge came to the conclusion that this was not on foot of medical need; it was on foot of legal need to substantiate a case. That's the sort of thing that we've been saying has been going on. The dogs in the street know that this stuff is going on, but we're not actually doing anything meaningful about stopping it. And and we can see now that the Irish Times is pointing mm. out to us things which are non-insurance cost related. So we're talking about people who are falling out of the workforce. Uh, they're not going back to work. They're becoming worried well if uh, and they're becoming ado- uh, addicted to opiates. I mean, there are a whole load of um, systemic issues here that are not being addressed in our current system. And of course, the rest of us are are paying for it. Uh, We leave it there for the moment, though, Neil, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Neil MacDonald, Chief Executive of ISME, uh, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, it's Budget Day. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe, is on the line with us ahead of Pascal Donoghue outlining his spending and revenue-raising measures for the year ahead. A very good morning to you, Sean, and thanks for joining us. I suppose, to a large degree, the talking is done, and it's a matter of the Cabinet signing off on next year's budget before the Minister takes his feet to announce the plan for next year. That's right, it's all signed, dotted, gone to the printers last night after a final meeting between Fall and the Independence Alliance, the last few final things thrashed out between them, but most of the detail is there. Cabinet will be getting briefed, and after that, the parliamentary parties for Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. An interesting one where Pascal has kept it pretty tight this year in terms of who knows what, so a lot of ministers are only hearing the overall budget for the first time this morning, uh, only have their own uh, line measures, if you like, uh, tapped out themselves and all, a little bit afraid of what they were asking for, given the the Brexit context of this mm. budget and the, the appearance of a lack of money. Uh, and uh, therein uh, lies uh, the problem uh, because uh, there's very little to play with but it, it seems as though he is going to raise some uh, additional taxes uh, taking the overall package to over £3 billion. Yeah, it looks as though it could be uh, somewhere in the region of £3.1 billion. We thought it would be 2.8 and uh, that's still a pretty sizable budget for one that we're calling uh, a pretty restrained and Restricted ones, you'd, you'd wonder what mm. the pre-budget giveaway would have been if there wasn't, or pre-election giveaway, I should say, uh, would have been if there wasn't there for Brexit. It looks as though the stamp duty on commercial properties is going to go up by a percentage and a half, which will raise about 130 million euro. You've got the carbon tax as well going up by six euro a ton, or in real terms of people, it's going to be about two cents extra on a, a litre of 
petrol and diesel from tonight, coal and heating oil getting more expensive as well. So there's a few revenue-raising measures in there, uh, changes to some of the tax on dirt as well, and a couple of the tweaking with the, with the tax thresholds in USC for, young, for uh, certain people arising in the in the minimum wage as well. So people who are kind of on the margins or who maybe mm. these well off might benefit, but I think a, a lot of people unlikely to see anything out of this budget really. Uh, and uh, an extra 50 cent on uh, the price of a, a packet of cigarettes which will raise uh, some more money for the Minister. Uh, as you say, uh, it may be a pre-election budget. Fianna Fáil signed up to three budgets. Uh, will this be the last budget in uh, under this uh, current stall? Yeah, I think so, and it's very much been framed as that. Uh, Pascal going into the department this morning talked about the difficulties of these negotiations because of that, because one, they're restrained by the potential of a no-deal Brexit in, in just under three weeks' time, but also everyone has one eye on the polls and is looking for, the, for their little bit ahead of the election, wherever it be, be it in November or early next year, sometime in March or April. So a tricky balancing act for them to do. I, I think it's also a strange one in that if they had gone a bit flahulak and spent a load of money, they would have lost public support as well because a lot of people realise how hard things are going to be if Brexit goes badly, particularly for businesses, for agriculture, for the tourism sector as well. And they're all going to see very targeted supports in this budget to a package of about €1 billion Euro that is going to be made up a, a bit of funding that was meant to go into the rainy day funds, some loans as well, and some European funds that will all kick in pretty much on day one, on November 1st of a no-deal Brexit, if that were to come to pass. Mm, uh, and the Minister has said uh, there won't be a second budget, a mini-budget, a supplementary budget. Uh, so will this be it for the year ahead, do you think? Or, or will he have to revisit that? It, yeah, he's insisted that there won't be, and um, that is particularly interesting if there isn't a uh, bad Brexit or if there is an extension and everything is kicked down the road for all the different reasons that we've already talked about. And what I think you might see is there's going to be a number of things in this budget that are already delayed. So, for example, the childcare scheme is uh, that is going to be announced won't take effect until towards the end of next year. The extra medical cards are going to take place uh, towards the middle of next year. There's going to be uh, other things in relation to health that are are going to be kicked out a little bit towards the middle of next year. Free dental Mm. care for under sixes, free GP care for under eights, and you're talking about possibly September 2020. So what I think we might see if there is suddenly a a good Brexit and there is extra money available, those schemes might come forward and then suddenly when you're facing into a possible election towards April, May next year, suddenly the government is able to say, well, look, we've done all these things and because Brexit's gone well, we're able to bring them forward a bit and give you money a little bit earlier. So that might be one mm. way around it. Of course, there's always that possibility of a second budget, even though the Minister has, at the moment is uh, And delaying these payments has been an approach the government has taken uh, most particularly with welfare increases, but there won't be any increase for pensioners next year. No, it's going away from the across-the-board increase we've seen in the last three years. And one of the Independent Alliance ministers, Ken Boxer-Moran, was defending it, saying that, look, under us, the pension has gone up €15 a week over the last three years. We can't do it this time because of budget constraints, but we are giving uh, 56,000 medical cards to over 70s. There are other measures that will help the worst off, but it's just at this moment that they can't give those social welfare increases. Same with Fine Gael and tax cuts. Obviously, Taoiseach made that promise to change the income bans and to make the higher rate of tax only applicable mm. when people start earning 50,000 euros, something that a lot of people, a lot of middle earners, I think, 
would say is a good thing, something Fine Gael has trumpeted for quite a while, but it isn't going to be in this budget because they say they're being prudent and they're being cautious with Brexit to come. Okay, and things will become more expensive because of uh, the carbon taxes. Uh, The argument on one hand is to change behaviour. The argument on the other hand is that I can't change my behaviour because I I don't have an alternative. Uh, How is this going to play out for the government? Exactly. This could be one of the trickiest parts of the budget in terms of reaction. There's a lot of people who I would say are probably largely supportive of the carbon tax. They say that people, that things need to be done. But as you, as you say, there isn't the alternative at the moment. So it'd be interesting to see if that is also coupled with the carrot of increased investment in transport, more buses, more trains, uh, if it is accompanied with the likes of grants, which I understand that there will be some more grants in terms of home retrofitting, and what other measures there are to provide more incentive for people to change their lifestyle, because just taxing people and just making it more difficult and more expensive to use carbon isn't going to do it on its own. It's probably a step in the right direction, but it's also only a part of the, the pledge that Pascal Donoghue and the Ryker have made to increase carbon taxes to €80 Euro a tonne by 2030. This is the first step on that direction. They took a lot of slack last year for not doing it, but they are worried in government buildings that this is the one that's going to face a backlash. All right, well, we'll uh, hear all as it's revealed uh, around uh, lunchtime by uh, the Minister, but we'll leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us, as always, our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now well, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And lots of them have been coming our way. Uh, David was listening into your discussion uh, on the housing crisis with Deputy Timmy Dooley and what they are going to do to tackle it in Budget 2020. He says he was driving through Dublin City this morning on his way home and at the Three Arena he saw a young woman sleeping on the streets with her two young children. He says they couldn't have been more than five or six years old. This government and all parties are a total and utter disgrace and they are not taking real action to tackle the housing crisis. How can they say they are making progress when you have scenarios like the one he witnessed this morning? Mm, okay. Kevin was listening in also to the discussion uh, and where he says they were praising the electric cars. He wants to know how the likes of Timmy Julie can talk about them with such regard when he fails to mention the high cost of replacement batteries. As far as he knows, some of them cost thousands of euro and the average life expectancy of a battery is seven or eight years old. So how can people be expected to afford that? Yeah, well, that's a a point, no doubt. uh, And uh, I think uh, the point uh, that uh, is probably strongest made in that comment is uh, the lack of confidence that people have in le- electric cars. Yes, that's right, Michael. Uh, Carmel phoned in. Carmel had a lot to say. She phoned oh, in from Carlingford okay. this mm. morning. She was very animated and annoyed. Oh. She says so she has to agree with you 100% listening into that discussion. Mm. She says she's never heard such nonsense. If I was in government, I could just order a new car. It'd be no problem. But unfortunately, I'm not. And I don't have the money for a new car, says Carmel. My car is 20 years old and if I was forced to change it, I would just have to walk. And it's not feasible for me at my stage mm. to be walking everywhere. She says that punishing people, and that's what she believes is being done, is not going to do any good. She says she thinks it's scandalous that people are pinned to the colour as it is. And what they are doing with carbon tax is making the poorer people suffer. Electric cars, Michael, they are not even prepared for it. And do you think it's right to penalise people in this way? I don't think so. 
young people are finding it tough enough. And mm. what I can't understand is that they seem to be trying to take more of the young people when many are already struggling to get, to be able to drive on the roads because of the high costs. Okay, I'm just fascinated as to how Carmel is driving a, an 89 Reg car and how she can get through the NCT on it yeah. uh, and indeed how can she get insurance on it uh, we hear of uh, insurance companies refusing cars that are 10 years old and uh, so on well that's what she tells me okay. Michael alright maybe Carmel will let us know okay, interesting <laughs> a text from mm. a listener who says Marie does that man live on the same planet as us I'm assuming talking about Timmy Dooley mm. uh, love to ask Mr Dooley has he got an electric car says Pat from Balbriggan how many ministers have them and he, how does he expect someone to pay 30 or 40 thousand euros for an electric car it's okay for people on big salaries but not for those who mm. aren't okay well uh, I don't know if he does or, or doesn't uh, but uh, obviously he faces uh, the same increase uh, in uh, the price of uh, petrol or diesel if he doesn't or he has the same option as the rest of us if he has that option uh, to buy a, a new car or uh, an 18 registered car as uh, the case may be as he was saying the technology is changing and they're becoming more viable as uh, ways uh, that people can use to uh, transport themselves. Uh, but uh, we'll have a, a, an awful lot uh, to talk about undoubtedly in the coming days uh, because of the announcements that are, are made today and uh, what the Minister has in store for all of us in terms of how he intends to spend government money and indeed to raise government money. And you've been out and about, Marie. I have. And you've been talking to people and uh, they've been letting you know what they hope to hear. I'd like to see more done for special needs children and young adults and their families because there's not enough out there help for us we have a daughter with autism and it can be quite difficult to get schools placements and that for them but we have succeeded but it had been a a long battle for her so more investment in in education for children with special needs definitely well personally i'm hoping for is uh, definitely increasing the pension also i heard someone talking about carbon tax on fuel that we we don't need that at all keep the fuel prices as they are be fine how much would you like to see of an increase in the pension well, it was a good 10% overall. I mean, it wouldn't be bad, you know, to keep it up to... Because the prices, as you know yourself, everything is going through the roof, so the pension is staying with for a while, so we need a, but a good 10% every year. For us to get more money and for the government to get less money, because they seem to get a rise every time. Well, I'd hope, be hoping for a, a kind of a friendly budget. I don't expect one, but I'd be hoping for one. You know, the pe- people who suffer most, poorer people, people on, on social welfare... And, if, if they're uh, can looked after, no, one, no one's hoping for a miracle of this. There'll be one eye kept on Brexit and the other one on the budget here, but uh, it's hard to know how it'll pan out, but all we can do is hope for the best. More money for social housing. It's ridiculous being on the list for like seven to ten years and not hearing anything back. It's very disheartening. When you are when you're, have like three children who are starting school and you don't know if you're going to be on north side, south side, where are you supposed to put them in school? Are you going to change them over? Like, just need to know. More money on the children's allowance. How much more would you like? 15 extra. Per child? Yeah, I think that would be right. For people that have two or more kids. And you find the costs are going up? Yeah, on everything. Nappies, wipes. Doesn't go, it doesn't go a long way, 140. Well, there's several things that I would like to see in the budget. There's a lot of changes that could be made. Well, I know housing is one of them. That's the priority here. Um, there's another one there that a little bit of rise in pensions, um, social welfare, fuel, things like that. 
They're talking about maybe carbon taxes are going to be put on fuel. Oh, I know the carbon tax as well, yes, and petrol's going up as well. Does that worry you, the cost of fuel going up? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, especially the elderly, the people who are living alone. You know, I mean, 22 euros is not, not a great for anybody, you know. But, I mean, people are boning two bags of coal a week, which would be close on 40. So what can we do? We just hope. To reduce taxes for the workers so that they could be able to utilise their salaries very well with their family. Do you think taxes are too high on salaries? Yes, they are very too high for, for the working families. And they can use it. And uh, they take other burdens for their children, schools, transportation, food. So they should be helped. They work a lot. And especially for the married ones, we are, we are too much taxed. Double taxation for husband and wife. So they do not encourage marriage. They should encourage marriage. I hope to get a pay rise. Not a very big, just a little. little a little help. A little more help, I'd like. What about yourself? Same as myself. A little rise and happy and leave well enough alone. Would you worry? They're talking about putting a carbon tax on fuel. Would that worry you? I really, really would. Uh, maybe not for us, we're past it, but, but the young people coming along, it's not fair. It's not fair on them. It's just too much. Where are they going to get the money? Think of the children coming behind them again. I'd like to see more houses and more apartments and less car parks and shopping centres. Do you worry about the number of people that are homeless? I do, yeah. There's an awful lot of homeless. We need to get more people out walking. Well, it's like everything else. We won't benefit. We get a rise and then we get everything goes back up. So it makes no difference to us. So that's my problem about it. I'd like to see childcare taken more care of. You know, the. Um, it's a lot of money for childcare now. It is, yeah, especially now when times are rough now and everything else. And children really and truly need to be taken care of. And I know that myself. Like, I have had seven. I think childcare should be priority first of all. Like mums and dads having to go to work, and then the cost of getting them minded, like you know, is another story to it. I would say something for people maybe with special needs would be useful. People living alone, perhaps as well, and maybe something to do with law and order. More investment in the Gardaí. Yeah, I think they probably need all the help they can get. They have their hands full. I'd like to see a rise on the pension, old age pension, and give a little bit more to the old age. Do you not think what you're getting is enough? No, I don't. Not, not what they have up there in Dialairn. Would that worry you that fuel might go up? I would uh, worry. If, if my oil goes up, that's it. I won't be able to put, uh, even put even the, the heating on. That's it. It's bad enough as it is at the minute. They're putting all the wrong things up. And at the moment, they're talking about that there could be a carbon tax, that the cost of heating could go up. How would you feel about that? Oh, Darren, we'll be all sitting in the cold with a blanket around us. There's no way. Like It's bad enough as it is at the minute. They're not putting people's pensions up and fuel and stuff like that to match what they're putting on. So if there's going to be a rise, there should be a rise in the pension? Yeah, yeah there should be. They're only putting up, what, five euro? Five euro last, the last time. It may not yeah. go up five euro this time, we don't no, know. No, So what would you get for five euro now? I'd like an increase in the pension, of course, and maybe more in the something free, do you know? Anything free. <laughs> Anything free, and something for the unemployed, like, definitely. Do you know, the genuine un- unemployed, like, you know... So just some good news for a change. Just love some good news. Okay, and thanks uh, to those people who took uh, some time out of their day yesterday to speak to you, Maria. A long wish list there, it has to be said. I'm not sure if uh, people will be happy or disappointed later on today, but I think a lot of those things uh, won't be on the list. I think there was definitely Mm -hmm. an expectation that there'd be something in the pension. 
there'd be some kind of an increase in the mm-hmm. pension. I definitely think there was that expectation, you know, even if it was the five euro. But um, from what we've been hearing, it may not be even that, Michael. Yeah, well, it seems as though there won't be any increase in the pension. Uh, there will be a, a package uh, which uh, the government will hope to make the grave vote happy with them and an extension uh, to the medical cards. Uh, a lot of uh, people over 70 who don't have a medical card will have one following uh, the budget announcement today and there should be an extension uh, to the fuel allowance uh, that you'll be getting it uh, for a couple of weeks extra. Margaret uh, got in touch and she says it seems that we will need 100k to get our homes climate ready and to buy an electric car. Our TDs will have no problem paying for it. They must think we are all on huge money like them. I feel we are being taxed to the hilt to pay for the bailout and now we are going to be screwed again with a higher carbon tax. The government's answer to everything is to tax us more. Okay. We finish on that <laughs> one. Right. Oh, well, they might give it to you with one hand and take it away. <laughs> with the other. As well, as that, that lady on the street said, all I want is something free. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, we'll find out what's in store for us later this afternoon. Uh, the Minister will announce Budget 2020 at around one o'clock in the Dáil today. Thanks, Marie, for that. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now we'll find out at one o'clock uh, what Minister Dunahu has uh, to say in terms of uh, the budget uh, next year. But uh, the Irish Cancer Society, in its pre-budget submission, asked uh, for a reduction in uh, the cost of car parking charges at hospitals. Paul Gordon, Policy and Public Affairs Manager with uh, the Irish Cancer Society, is on uh, the line with us. A very good morning to you, Paul, and uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, it seems uh, from the Irish Independent this morning that there could be good news in store. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, there may well be. So over, over a period of years, the Irish Cancer Society has been campaigning to um, to reduce the cost of car parking charges for cancer patients right across the country. Uh, these are charges that, that really impact people at a, at a very vulnerable time. And often uh, we, we have heard from many people that, that, that car parking charges, along with the, the plethora of charges people do face when they're, when they're going through cancer treatment, can be the straw that, that breaks the camel's back. Um, so, yes, as in the Irish Independent report today by Aisha Regan, um, we saw that that a review report was obviously completed last year, and it, it is expected there may be some detail in the HSE services plan for 2020. Um, we feel that this is long overdue. Uh, the Minister for Health ordered a report in March 2018. Um, initially that was due to be completed in August last year. Uh, we understand it was completed in November last year and we were hoping that it would be published sooner. The Minister has made commitments that there, uh, that, that the report would be, uh, be, begin to be implemented in 20, 2019 and we certainly are hopeful that that will happen. Um, mm. It's something that, that really impacts uh, cancer patients at, at a very vulnerable time. Well it's uh, very expensive isn't it or it can be very expensive uh, depending on which hospital you're attending. Absolutely. Um, we, we had one, one gentleman, Jerry, who has who has been a, a real uh, wonderful advocate for us on this. Um, he 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 attended as an inpatient uh, for treatment for lema- for for um, leukemia a couple of years ago. Um, it was only after after three months of treatment uh, where, where he needed to to stay in hospital for for the entirety of his treatment that his wife, who visited him 
twice a day, five times a week, uh, look back and realise that she had spent uh, almost €1,200 Euro, um, in car parking charges to the hospital and there were, there were no real concessions available uh, at Beaumont at the time mm. where, where he was being treated. And those sorts of costs uh, really add up at a time when people are facing you know, costs for, for, for maybe inpatient charges, costs for medication, but also other costs associated with, with appointments that people don't often think about um, when, when they first hear the words, you have cancer. Um, often the focus is very much on, on, on getting well and getting through your treatment um, and ensuring that there, there, there is a, a, you know, a clear routine in your life with your family that, 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 that are there to support you. Um, but, but many have, have, have told us and, and tell us every day that the financial impact of cancer can, can, can really be uh, almost as stressful as, as both the physical and emotional side effects. And for most people, it's unavoidable. Uh, I mean, you have to go to the hospital. A lot of people don't live near the hospital and can't get public transport. And, of course, you have to park your car up. But how is it? Uh, many would ask uh, that it's more expensive to park, let's say, at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital for a day than it is uh, to park uh, at St. Stephen's Green for the day. Yes, well, well, those costs are, are huge. I know our, our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, they do have arrangements in place for cancer patients uh, where if you do contact um, the, the day ward, they, they can, uh, can ring operational services. So there, there are discounts available that would be €4 Euro a day for cancer patients. Mm-hmm. So if there are any patients listening, I would certainly urge them to ask. But this, for us, it's something that people shouldn't really have to ask about. Uh, those charges should be advertised uh, or reductions should be advertised. It should be upfront. There should be transparency about this. Uh, and that's really what we would like to see in this report. It's not just about cost. It's about ensuring that patients are informed, that they do know whether their costs are available. They don't have to go seeking them out. It doesn't have to be a word of mouth thing. So it's something that we would like to see formalised by the HSE. So there are a number of hospitals that, that do have have positive examples uh, and have really led the way. Uh, St. Luke's in Rathgar, for example, in Dublin, Port Yunkala, uh, Midland Regional Hospital in, in, in Tullamore. They, they, they all offer free parking. There's a number that in recent years, on the back of our campaign, ha- have actually reduced their parking and started to offer concessions. So, so patients in Cork now at all hospitals undergoing cancer treatment will pay no more than five euro a day. So that, that's really positive news and that, that has come on the back of our campaign. But it's something that, that we really need to see across the board. So that charges are, are clearly displayed and well advertised. Patients undergoing treatment you know, they, they should be informed of any parking exemptions in their first appointment letter. So, you know, we, we have found that some people, they, they just don't like to ask. They can be quite embarrassed about asking. Of course, yeah. This, this, cuts out, this cuts out all that, that frustration. Well, you, you can understand that, uh, but there's also uh, the perspective of uh, the hospital in uh, the sense that this is valuable revenue and is quite often going towards providing services uh, and they don't want to give up that revenue because they want to provide the services. Well, absolutely. And I mean, we, we have we have worked with HC to try and see if there are solutions to actually provide funding uh, through a central mechanism, because we, we, we don't want to, to take money away from, from frontline services, but we don't believe that, that that car parking charges should be should be funding vital services, really. It should be coming uh, from, through a national fund. And that's 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 what we have asked for from the HSE to implement this report. We expect it will be in the region of four to five, four to five million. And um, that, that is a significant amount of money. However, in, in, in the overall context of the difference that it will make to cancer patients, we really think it's something that's worth it. And as I said, it's, it's, mm. it's, not, just, it's not just about cost. This report 
Uh, and what we we have we have sought to ensure is is that patients are aware of what's happening, that you know healthcare professionals are are aware of any mm. parking schemes or concessions, and that also that 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 the hospitals that do have free parking in place currently. Um, in a in, in in a formal manner like that are 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 not there's not a chill effect on them once the once the guidelines are published and that's something that, that we have put across strongly to the HSE and to the minister. Okay, uh, and obviously you represent cancer patients, uh, and uh, in some circumstances uh, the campaign has uh, been successful in bringing uh, about a, a change and a reduction in what they're charged for parking. Uh, but then there's their family members, uh, and of course uh, there's other patients uh, who attend hospital regularly and frequently and don't have cancer and their family members uh, on occasion depending on where, which part of the hospital you park in in Drogheda it can be up to 40 euro a, a day now this review is suggesting that it should be no more than 10 euro a day uh, there is a, a caveat on this uh, and that it is for hospitals that would generate more than 22.4 million euro a, a year from parking charges uh, but if I, I remember correctly I think the Lord's uh, generates in around 50 million from parking charges. Yes, and uh, I mean, I know Lords has, has obviously over the years been uh, been criticised for the high, the high cost of parking. It's 40 euro for a day at the, at the, the main har- car park. I know the short-term car mm. park across land is 20 euro. Um, and, you know, we, we do, the HLE does have to find wa- ways of, of making up that, 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 that difference. But it is welcome that we, we do see new guidelines and, and that there are caps. And one, one, one element that will support that and that we have, we have talked to the HLE about is, is encouraging people who, who, you know, are, are uh, visiting on a once-off basis, that they do use public transport, that those options are made available to, to people who may be outpatients with, without, that do not have serious illnesses, that they're advised to use public transport where, where possible as well. Mm. Ten euro uh, is still a lot of money, isn't it? It is absolutely, um, and you know, there, fortunately, there 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 are very few hospitals at the moment um, where cancer patients cancer patients pay pay much more than that. Um, but we do see certainly in in more uh, urban centres uh, much higher costs. So so as you mentioned earlier, um, in the Matter Hospital is about the same same price as St Stephen's Green Shopping Centre. Uh, Tala um, is is about three times the cost of the square Tala, which is about two kilometres distance away and why that that may sound tempting for, for, for many visitors, it's not really possible for cancer patients or family members who have to support cancer patients who may be suffering from fatigue, um, they may they may be suffering side effects such as vomit such as vomiting uh, as a result of their treatment and and they simply they simply can't uh, can't travel that distance and they just can't use public transport either. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment, uh, but uh, we'll uh, find out when the service plan is uh, published by the HSE, which will uh, come on the back of uh, today's budget. Uh, what change there will be? Uh, that'll be towards uh, the end of the year, going into next year, will it, Paul? It will, yeah. So it should mm-hmm. it should be uh, within 60 days of the publication of the budget today. So we'd expect it probably early December. Okay, we leave it there, as I say. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Paul Gordon, who's uh, the Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the Irish Cancer Society. Now, as you've been hearing... Today's budget is being announced in the context of the assumption, at least, that there will be a no-deal Brexit and that the United Kingdom will leave the European Union without a deal and that it will do that on the 31st of this month. Now, 
that is assuming that there is no deal. And of course, this is an ongoing saga, one which was raised once again in Westminster yesterday. uh, And the British government is adamant that if there isn't a deal, uh, it's somebody else's fault. Uh, we'll hear what uh, James James Doddridge had to say about it now. We are unconditionally committed to finding a solution for the north-south border, which protects the Belfast Good Friday Agreement and the commitments which can best be met if we explore solutions other than the backstop. The backstop risks to weakening the delicate balance embodied in the Belfast Good Friday Agreement between both main traditions in Northern Ireland, grounded in agreement, consent and respect for minority rights. Any deal of Brexit on the 31st of October must avoid the whole of the UK or just Northern Ireland being trapped in an arrangement without consent where they are a rule taker. Both sides have always been clear that the arrangements for the border must recognise the unique circumstances of the island of Ireland and, reflecting that, be creative and, indeed, flexible. Under no circumstances will the United Kingdom place infrastructure, checks or controls at the border. On Wednesday, the 2nd of uh, October, the Government proposed a new protocol on Ireland, Northern Ireland. These were serious and realistic proposals that reflect the core aims put forward by both the UK and the EU. These proposals are consistent with the Belfast Good Friday Agreement and deliver our aim of avoiding any checks or infrastructure at the border. These proposals were set out in detail in an explanatory note and in a letter to the President of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker. The Prime Minister deposited both these documents in the Library of the House on Wednesday, the 2nd of October, and published them in parallel on gov.uk. To support these negotiations, draft legal text was also shared with the Commission on a confidential basis. The Prime Minister's Europe advisor, David Frost, and UK officials have been in intensive discussions with the Commission for some time now and will continue meeting with their counterparts from Task Force 50 uh, for further technical talks this week. These meetings will cover our proposals on the protocol and also the political declaration to reflect the goal of a comprehensive free trade agreement. The previous withdrawal agreement and political declaration would have trapped the United Kingdom within European regulation and customs arrangements. The Prime Minister is continuing talks with EU leaders today, including the Prime Minister of Sweden, the Prime Minister of Denmark and the Prime Minister of uh, Poland. My right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Exiting the European Union, is also travelling to EU capitals, including visiting Amsterdam and Valletta over the course of this week. Discussions with the Commission are not ongoing and are sensitive, and we must ensure that we as a government act in a way that maximises our chance of success in these negotiations. We will, of course, keep the House informed as these discussions continue. The legal text which we have shared with the Commission will only be published when doing so will assist the negotiations. We hope that Brussels will decide to work with us over the upcoming days. If they do, we will leave with a new deal. If they don't want to talk, then we are prepared to leave without a deal. Without a deal. James Doddridge outlining the position of uh, the British government in the House of Commons yesterday. 
Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, let's talk about uh, the Extinction Rebellion week-long protest uh, that is taking place in 60 capital cities around the world, including Dublin, where Katrina Kenny is. Uh, she's a member of Extinction Rebellion and on the line with us now. And a very good morning to you, Katrina, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, what kind of reception have you received so far? Hi, Michael. Um, I suppose I've had a mixed reception. I was on the barricade at 5am yesterday morning and mostly positive responses. There were some angry people um, who wanted to get to work, but once I calmly explained to them that there was diversions in place and that they could access the road a different way and that there was path access and all that sort of stuff, people... Mm seemed okay about it. <laughs> okay, most of them anyway, as you say. Uh, yeah. t- 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 tell us why you decided to go out protesting on uh, the streets of Dublin at five o'clock I- in the morning. Uh, what's uh, the incentive for you? Well, I suppose my mother gives out to me. I have four children from 12 to 2, and uh, I suppose how I feel is desperate. I feel so scared for the future for them, and um tried all the letter writing, all the kind of reading, talking to my husband about potentially moving somewhere higher off the ground and all that sort of stuff. And it's not a dramatic thing to say that climate change is happening, man-made climate change is happening, and that there's going to be lots of consequences to that that are going to impact all our lives in the very near future. And all the science is pointing that way. So I felt like, oh, I needed to do something that gave me a little bit of hope. Mm. And for me, the idea, like watching the kind of news last year, seeing Extinction Rebellion in the UK seen lots and lots of people out in the streets. I was hoping that it would be replicated here. Um, and that the bigger, the bigger the crowd, the bigger the voice, the, the sooner the government would have to listen and to act on the climate emergency that they've declared, you know? Have you ever done anything like this before? Are you a regular protester or...? Um, I mean, yeah, I do go, I do go to protest, mm. but I, I'd be selective about what I go to. I don't yeah. just protest yeah. everything, you know? Mm. Uh, you know, my husband works in the pharmaceutical industry. I'm a childminder. I'm back in college now studying climate change. It's not like I sit at home thinking, what can I disrupt next? You know, I, I, there are certain causes that I feel quite strongly about. Like, for example, last week I would have stood outside the doll about the Shannon LNG thing that was going through um, in, in Brussels where the government were putting it on a, on a special list so that it wouldn't have to go through regular planning things. You know, that's... Mm. Ireland has back banned fracking um, because of the impacts on human health and environmental health. Mm. And yes, we're planning to import, import frack gas from America. Gas, yes, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's what it's like. So as I say, it's not like I'm just a, a negative naysayer that wants to sit and give out about things. But I do think that we have a very small window of time to act um, to kind of mitigate the problems that are going to come down the line. Um, with climate change. We mm. saw it through last year when it was snowing. <laughs> I remember going down to Little and there being no food on the on the shelves. And you kind of mm. go, well, if, if, if snow can do that, what are food shortages going to do? What are wars and resources going to do? Uh, it, it, it scares me and it scares me for my children's future. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure everybody sees it that way. I'm sure you heard uh, what Boris Johnson had to say. Uh, he described members of the Extinction Rebellion as uncooperative crusties who should stop blocking the streets of the capital with uh, their heaving hemp-smelling bivouacs. <laughs> well, I, to be honest, that makes me laugh because, well, I, I, it's too early in the morning for me to give my opinion <laughs> on Boris Johnson. But I do think that particularly in Extinction Rebellion Ireland and in the UK, not that I know anybody personally, but 
there are surgeons, there are business owners, there are, you know, a massively diverse crowd of people involved. Really interesting, intelligent people. I mean, I was speaking with the guards this morning and they, they said the same thing. They said there's a really intelligent group of people here who who are <laughs> genuinely scared for the future and want the government to listen and to act on the climate emergency that they declared. Like that's the, that's the big thing for me. It's like the word emergency. If I said to my kids, oh, it's an emergency, get out of the house, and they all just sat there, mm. I'd kind of be quite confused. Mm. But a, a climate emergency has been declared. But what does that actually mean? Yeah, well, what do you think it means to most people? Because I, I think everybody wants to save the planet, but nobody wants to pay for it. No, that is true. And I, I mean, I absolutely don't uh, think that people should be punished because the climate is breaking down. But I do think that we all have a part to play in this. And even if it is putting pressure on the government, that's, that's one thing that we can do. Ireland is an exceptional country for kind of innovation and we've great soil, we have, we're surrounded by water and wind. We, there's a lot of opportunities for us to be leaders in kind of environmental issues. Mm. Um, but there doesn't seem to be, I think people, and I'd like to feel this way myself, to be honest. I'd like to feel like we have loads of time, like this isn't an emergency. Like I was doing for my homework for college there, I was reading the IPCC report again and kind of going, oh, I wish I didn't believe this. <laughs> I wish 98% of scientists didn't believe this. Um, that things like sea level rise and food shortages and war on resources, they are all coming down the line. Mm. And I suppose that the more people that realise that, the more maybe we can do something about it. Um, uh, I don't know how much... Mm. There, there is a certain level of uh, awareness, uh, Katrina, and uh, there's a lot of people who would say that they're fully uh, aware of the emergency and uh, how uh, important it is to act and act quickly, and they would fully agree with your cause, but they also have to make a living and they don't understand why they're being caught up in your protest. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. But I do think that those people need to question how they're going to make a living when the future that it, we're heading towards is going to happen. Like, you know, the, the, there isn't going to be business on a dead planet. And I, I know that's a very dramatic thing to say, but it's true. And I think we need to slow down a little bit and, and, and be smart about how we act and the pressure that we put on the government to, not, to make decisions in our interest. Mm. You know, uh, like it's in our interest to give uh, grants to farmers to reforest their land because that would provide us with oxygen you know that, like that sort of stuff things that make sense mm. like public transport in my opinion should be free um, public transport should be heavily invested in like cars shouldn't really be able to block up the traffic in Dublin like simple things like that or like roads should be safer for cycling things that would make your life easier like I personally with my four kids would rather not you know, have to stand up on a bus that's that's packed full of people, stuck behind a load of cars on the keys. But that's that's often what ends mm. up happening. But you it, know what it, I mean? Is this event in Dublin having any impact? Is it putting any pro, uh, any pressure <laughs> on, on government? I, I mean, it's been a, a very small turnout. Uh, yeah, I think relative I, I, uh, to I other cities. I think more people were arrested in London than attended in Dublin. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm. To be honest, I'm disappointed. I was mm. disappointed yesterday and I went, I, I didn't camp. I cycled home to my kids because they wanted me to bring them to school this morning. And I, and I was disappointed that there wasn't a turnout. I think that Irish people are quite different <laughs> to English people. Mm. Uh, that we, we don't 
tend we tend to kind of sit on the sideline and go, oh yeah, that's that's a good cause, but or oh, I'd like to get involved with that, but I think that kind of a coming together needs to happen. I'm not saying that it definitely needs to be extinction rebellion, but a mm. coming together and like like with the water charges where we came together and said no this isn't good enough, we're not, we're not paying, or, you know, that sort of stuff. But there will be a big no today uh, in response uh, to the carbon tax. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I, and I do hope, I mean, it doesn't have to be under the Extinction Rebellion banner, but I do hope that people mobilise and say, lads, come on, you need to act in our interest, because mm. they're not. And it's really disappointing. Like, um, pa- Pascal O'Donoghue is a parent in, in the school that my children go to. And I often think, you know, do you not worry to, <laughs> about your children's futures? Mm. Do you not worry about uh, the ordinary people in Ireland? Because they don't really seem to be. <laughs> well, I think they'd argue otherwise. And uh, I, yeah. I think the other argument is you get what you vote for. Uh, I know, I agreed. But I, I mean, I'm not seeing that many um, viable options out there, sadly. And that's that's partly because of the inaction mm. of ordinary people. I think that we do need to get out on the streets and we do need to, you know, kind of establish a different type of society. Not, like, I know that sounds very airy-fairy, mm-hmm. but that's one of the things that I've seen in Extinction Rebellion, that we're trying to form a kind of an idea for the future and uh, where it's people working together, citizens' assemblies, you know, community-based outreach, all that sort of stuff that's, um, isn't just from the top down, that it comes from the bottom up. And the Citizens' Assembly was supposed to do that, but sure, the government haven't actually listened to mm. what the Citizens' Assembly on climate came out with. You know, that, that, that most recent climate action plan is all just kind of greenwashing and, and, and words. It doesn't actually mean anything without mm. any viable action behind it. But what's wrong with from the top down? I mean, you need leadership, uh, and this comes back to the political question of you get what you vote for, uh, and uh, if there are all these brilliant uh, people who have the support of most people in Extinction Rebellion, why not put forward candidates or convince the politicians? Because if the politicians believe that that will result in votes, they're the policies they'll pursue. And yeah, that is a valid point, but I do think in Ireland, Extinction Rebellion, if if that's uh, I think it needs to grow. I think we need more people to come down. And to be honest, I'm I'm one of the family area coordinators. The the site down there in Marion Square is really beautiful. There's lovely activities on every day. There's, you know, I have art workshops going on in the family area. Lovely tent set up there. There's yoga. There's music. There was brilliant bands playing last night. I wish ordinary people would come down, and because we're ordinary people too, come down, meet extinct people from Extinction Rebellion see what we're about, mm. rather than making judgments in the media or walking past and going, like Barra said, a bunch <laughs> of crusties, because that's not the case. And I would yeah. invite anybody who's no. in any way concerned about the environment to come down and actually just talk to us and see see what we're about, because I really think that that would make a difference. Well, you're obviously genuinely concerned. Uh, I, I mean, if you go to the length of uh, being out and protesting at five o'clock in the morning, uh, <laughs> yeah. there's uh, certainly some conviction there. Uh, have you met with any politicians? Personally, I have not, but some, some of the members have. Um, and hopefully we'll get an opportunity during the week. There has been an invitation to them to come down and meet with us. Um, and speak to us. And, like, there's a political strategy team within Extinction Rebellion. There's people who are interested, like, there's people who are interested in, in all forms of policy. As mm. I say, I've gone back to college now to study climate change policy, and it's an area that I'm really interested in. I'm not an expert, and I'm mm. not a scientist. But I do think we have to stop and go, lads, we're, 
we're not doing our best for the environment and we're not doing our best for humans. And, and our, our futures depend on it. And if it costs 160 more to fill up your car tomorrow or 16 euro to get a, a fill of oil uh, next May or whenever it is, uh, that's uh, really uh, not the approach uh, you would argue. Personally, it's not the approach that I would argue. We shouldn't be punishing people who are already stretched. Like, how can people actually get out there and, and, and make their voices heard about the environment when they're living paycheck to paycheck or living on very little like I, I understand I'm in a point like I'm lucky this week that I am available to get out on the streets not everybody is mm. and I was speaking to a guy yesterday from Iran who has all sorts of strong opinions about you know his own government and he said they don't have a legal right to protest there we're lucky we have a legal right to protest here and uh, yeah I suppose I think we just need numbers out on the streets so I would ask anybody who's in any way concerned for the future of the planet to, to maybe rock up and, and, and ha, you know, find out more because there are going to be talks and trainings all week. Okay, Katrina, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much for speaking to Thank us Thank you today. very Thank much, you. Michael. That's uh, Katrina Kenny, who's a, a member of Extinction Rebellion Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally, and hopefully you can assist with those investigations. Garda Tara McManus of Drogheda Station joins us for the report this week. We begin in Anfield and a burglary which occurred on Tuesday the 1st. Morning, Michael. So we'll start with a burglary. Yeah, this happened in Collinstown in Enfield last Tuesday, the 1st of October at about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, there's a telephone mast somewhere around that area there and there's a storehouse for it. Um, the, the lock was cut on that storehouse and a number of large batteries. Now, these would be very specific type of batteries. So again, anyone that might have been in that area last Tuesday evening may have information and if so, uh, can contact the Guardia Trim. Okay, we go to Dundalk. Uh, Robbery to report on. This happened last Thursday. Yeah, this one happened last Thursday, uh, the 3rd of October, at about half four in the afternoon on the Castletown Road in Dundalk. Um, A man was out cycling and he was approached by a male in a grey tracksuit who just began chatting to him and then eventually produced a syringe and held the syringe to him and demanded his phone and his money. Now, the man handed it over, obviously. But um, this happened on the Castletown Road, half four in the afternoon. So perhaps somebody, you know, that's a busy place. It's a busy time of the day. School's out and everything else. If anyone has any information, um, our colleagues in Dundalk would be very keen to talk to you about that one. Okay, uh, another burglary to report on. In fact, we've uh, a number of burglaries uh, this week. Uh, The next one in Drogheda, this happened last Thursday. This one happened at um, Fountain Hill up in Mel. Uh, Last Thursday, the 3rd of October again, sometime between 6pm and 11pm, a house there was broken into and jewellery taken from an upstairs bedroom. Now, we don't have any um, descriptions of culprits, but again, you know, between 6 and 11 o'clock, that Fountain Hill area, um, there would have been plenty of people about. Perhaps if somebody has information there, um, the colleagues here in Drogheda would like to talk to you. Okay, another burglary last Thursday to report on, uh, but we go from Drogheda to Navan for this report. Yeah, this one happened in at Lumley Wood in Navan uh, overnight last Thursday, so into the early hours of Friday morning. Um, a shed at the back of a house house was broken into and a scrambler bike was taken. Now that's a Yamaha uh, scrambler bike. I don't have any better details of what it is at the moment but um, again if, if somebody maybe sees something 
you know, similar up on Dundee or one of these places or whatever, um, the Guardian and Navin would be keen to talk to you. I'm sure. OK, uh, back to Drogheda for another burglary. This happened on Friday, Gone. This one happened um, on Francis Street in Drogheda um, at half ten in the morning, um, on the morning of Friday the 4th of October. Um, we are aware the two males forced the rear window of a premises there, entered the house and proceeded to go through it when they were actually met by the injured party. So the person who lived there was actually still in the house at the time um, and actually met these two guys coming up the stairs. So a massive fright to get, as you can imagine, um, and are the colleague, our colleagues here in Dundur, sorry, in Drogheda would like to speak to you if you have any information on that one and can provide any assistance. Dreadful. Frightening, as you say. Mm. Uh, probably a frightening story to report on next. It's another burglary. Again, this happened on Friday and again in Drogheda. Yeah, this happened at the centre up in Ballsgrove in Drogheda last Friday, half one, middle of the afternoon. People probably in getting sandwiches and different things. Uh, two males in balaclavas entered that shop, one armed with a knife, the other armed with a hammer. Um, they went in behind the counter and demanded staff there to open the till. Uh, the other male was banging the hammer on the counter, frightening customers, frightening staff. Um, and they did get away with um, a small amount of cash. Uh, no injuries, thank God, to any of the members of staff. But as you said, such a frightening um, experience. Half one in the afternoon there at the centre in Ballsgrove and Drogheda. So we really would be appealing to local people there. If you have any information on this one, please contact um, ourselves here in Drogheda. We really would be keen to put these two guys away. OK, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people uh, would welcome that. Mm. Uh, we'll go to Dunboyne. Uh, another burglary to report on uh, this uh, particular incident happened on Saturday gone by. Saturday morning morning um a house there in fairy house um uh, caller reports disturbing three to four males trying to break into his house through the bathroom window and the rear door now they actually fled on foot and they actually didn't get anything one description a man in his early 20s wearing a kind of an orange hoodie but again that happened um in the early hours of saturday morning so at about quarter to one friday night saturday morning um again somebody was in their house and these four guys tried to break in while they were asleep so really really frightening stuff mm, yeah i'm sure it's uh, a lot of people's worst nightmare uh, We'll finish up uh, this week with a stolen car. This was taken in Ashburn. Yeah, this is our typical um, burglary that ends up with a car being stolen. Um, So a house in Alderbrook Glen in Ashburn was broken into in the early hours of Sunday morning, the 6th of October, broken through the house, um, got the car keys from the kitchen and stole the car. Now, the car we're looking for in this case is a 152 Dublin registration red Skoda Octavia so fairly big um, obvious kind of car mm. so again I suppose look at the, this in, this particular instance is more maybe to just advise people about just you know putting the car keys away someplace safe not leaving them out on the counter or on the window ledge or somewhere where they're visible you know just putting them away safe at night could be enough just to deter somebody from breaking into your house mm, because they will if uh, they can get the keys they'll take the car then okay well that uh, concludes uh, the report and uh, i'm sure everybody would hope that there was less to report mm. on and they say that prevention is better than cure one of uh, the great uh, initiatives for crime prevention uh, is uh, the joint policing committees and uh, before you leave us uh, you want to tell us uh, about the next meeting the next JPC meeting 
Yeah, just to make um, our listeners in Meath aware that um, there will be a public meeting of the Meath Joint Policing Committee next Wednesday, so that's Wednesday week, the 16th of October at half past seven in the Hedford Arms Hotel in Kells. And now all members of the public in the Meath area are invited to attend and to make their views known regarding the various policing issues in County Meath. Now the deadline for receipt of written questions has passed but questions can be taken on the night and put to the committee. Um, however, just to be aware that maybe full information might not be available at the meeting if, if somebody poses a question maybe that might require research but other than that um, we would be urging members of the public to go get to get involved oh. and voice your opinions and, and I suppose have a say on how your, your local area is policed OK that's half seven tomorrow week in uh, the Hedford Arms Hotel Thank you indeed Garda Tara McManus of Drogheda Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme Now in the short time that we have left with you today let's Go back to you and some more of the comments that have been coming to us. What else have you got there for us today, Marie? Michael, a texter responding to your interview with Katrina Kenny from Extinction Rebellion Ireland wants to know, did Katrina or does Katrina grow her own vegetables? Does she shower every day? Does she have a dishwasher, electric kettle and all? Does she use disposable nappies if she's baby, if she has babies? That's the question. (laughs) Another listener says uh, that woman says her husband works in the pharma industry. She'd better be careful what she wishes for. That one could be one of the industries that will be hit, says Jack. Then on the budget, uh, Jack also adds, will this carbon tax be ring fenced for that purpose? The ordinary person is going to be hit again and will only lead for demand for higher wages. Well, we'll have a, a lot of talk about that over the next 24 hours, but uh, I think we'll be told that, yes, it will be ring-fenced and uh, extra money that will be raised uh, on uh, the additional tax on uh, fuel and uh, fossils and so on uh, will be put towards retrofitting homes and that sort of thing. But uh, the budget will be announced at 1 o'clock today. We leave it there for today. Thanks, Marie. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. And God will We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.